Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is Judy Connell, and I serve as the shepherding deacon and volunteer greeter in our congregation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we prepare for worship, let us bow our heads in prayer. Everlasting God, in whom we live and move and have our being, you have made us for yourself so that our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Give us purity of heart and strength of purpose, that no selfish passion may hinder us from knowing your will, no weakness keep us from doing it, that in your light we may see light clearly, and in your service find perfect freedom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God. Amen.
Will you please stand for the call to worship? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you shall live. Let us worship God. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Confident that in God's grace and God's forgiveness, let us pray our confession together. God of glory, you sent Jesus among us as the light of the world to reveal your love for all people. We confess that our sin and pride hide the brightness of your light. We turn away from the poor. We ignore cries for justice. We do not strive for peace. In your mercy, cleanse us of our sin and baptize us once again with your spirit that forgiven and renewed we may show forth your glory, shining in the face of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. God's forgiveness is always there for us, and God has heard our prayers and have forgiven us and made us anew. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. 
Now, as forgiven children of God, we affirm our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let us greet one another in Christ's name. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Church of the Palms and thankful that we can be together as God's people to celebrate all of the goodness in the world and all of what God has done for us and wonder about how God might want us to add to that goodness as we leave this place. So that's our purpose and mission and we're glad that you're here to join us in that. A couple of announcements uh, while you're passing the friendship paths and noticing those folks who are sitting near you. Uh, we have a big uh, student sponsorship drive that's happening even as we speak, and we're grateful we're getting closer and closer to that goal of uh, $30,000, and we would love for you to support us in that. And we have the dinner and dance scheduled for those sponsors uh, this Saturday night, and uh, you won't want to miss that. Kick off your shoes. <laughs> Do your little dance thing, so that would be good. So come and join us if you're a sponsor. We would love to have you with us, the next Sunday, we have one of the great organists in our country, Kent Trito, will be here from the New York Philharmonic uh, to not only perform at our 11 o'clock service, but then at three o'clock in the afternoon, we'll uh, be here as well. So you wanna, want, won't want to miss that. Go find tickets underneath uh, the tree and join us next Sunday. And then, hard to believe, but 
The following Wednesday, March the 1st, is Ash Wednesday, and we will begin our Lenten journey. So you won't want to miss that. We will be worshiping here in the sanctuary at 6.30 p.m. on Ash Wednesday. And then the following Sunday will be March the 5th, and we will be in our crop walk. And uh, those of you who've participated in that know what that's about, and that's our effort to, again, come alongside of this great issue of world hunger. And you won't want to miss not only walking in it, but if you can't, you can also sponsor somebody and see the good folks underneath the tree to help with that. So bottom line is, when you leave here, under the tree. <laughs> I want a short line going out that door, long line going out that door. Next Sunday as well is our Commitment Sunday. This is a very important Sunday in our church's life where we make our financial commitments to uh, the life and ministry of Church of the Palms for 2017. And uh, we have been spending time uh, wondering about how God has been at work in the life of Church of the Palms and the great gratitude we all have for not only what God has done for us, but what God does through us as we come together as the body of Christ. And we've been hearing these wonderful stories. Eric Jason is with us today. And Eric Jason is one of our Stephen ministers and has another story to share with us of gratitude for what we are here at Church of the Palms and how we can reach those who are in need. So welcome, Eric. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to share a portion of my journey, uh, which starts about seven and a half years ago when... Uh, we were sitting, my wife Helen and I were part of the TV ministry and also the backbenchers. Uh, there was a shyness that precluded her from coming down front. So here I am up on the podium, it's a little different. Um, she was diagnosed after a series of uh, emergencies with a colon problem and went in for a colonoscopy and was sent directly to the hospital with uh, a diagnosis of cancer. The operation was supposed to be relatively simple. It wasn't. Uh, that little room, if you've ever been there, where you talk to the surgeon after the operation and don't get good news, was really devastating. Uh, it was inoperable, and she was going to do chemotherapy. How I got through the night, I don't know, because I was the one to inform her that it wasn't operable, it didn't go simply, and she did have a, a colostomy. The following day, I picked up the phone and called the church. We weren't official members. I made an appointment with Dr. Schaff, and we were assigned, or Ann Owen started to come and visit my wife. And this is a very remarkable person. Um, she, I didn't know it at the time. She was a Stevens minister, and she stayed with us for a long time. So uh, three or four months later, um, Helen went into remission, and that was fabulous. So about four months after that, we decided, okay, everything is fine. We'll go for uh, reversal of the colostomy. So we went back to the hospital, and that did not work out. Complications, and Helen was in the hospital for an entire month, uh, at which time I kind of moved into the hospital. And I started to see not only Ann Owens, who was coming to visit regularly, but our two remarkable pastors, Minky Brown and Ellen Rhoda. And I, just, I saw them. Uh, I wasn't participating so much as watching and absorbing. So that went fairly well. She was discharged and went through the next several months with Ann. 
And then I was diagnosed with cancer. I ended up with a football-sized tumor, no symptoms, and started my own chemotherapy. My own chemotherapy put me in the hospital for most of seven months in and out, at which time I was receiving visits from the two pastors. So uh, all things being, I was discharged. I ended up in radiology, and I ended up, thank God, cancer-free. Um, Helen's cancer came back. So she ended up in the hospital two more times. And again, I was with her when the pastors and Anne were coming to visit. We got to know each other fairly well, I would say, over a long period of time. And not too many people get that chance one way or another. Um, Helen finally passed away uh, after the two visits. And through it all, the two pastors and Anne were with me and, and Helen. Um, when she passed, uh, I knew I had to, there were certain things. It wasn't to pay back the church, it was I was attracted to it. These three people were so, the example of what they did for us was a, a, just something that pulled, pulled me. So the first thing I did was come to church and sit in the front, where I was fairly quickly adopted by a lovely church family with whom we've been friends ever since. Uh, I, I then said, okay, I have to join. And I was thinking about Stephen's ministry. I was, uh, went through the SHAPE class. It confirmed that I could do that. So I did it. I, it took a year. And then one little by little, I became a Stephen leader and, and eventually a shepherding deacon. All I can say is that this church is remarkable. Uh, we have the example of the most wonderful people. I think it's just terrific. And I feel pulled in by attraction and I'm ready to do, uh, as Anne would say, it's the Holy Spirit directing whatever it is I'm doing and probably everybody else. So I would suggest uh, service is wonderful. It has come back to me multiple times uh, the benefit of, of doing what I'm doing and I enjoy every minute of it and I thank you very much. Thank you. 
members to come forward. Come on up. <coughs> Just this past Sunday, we had another one of our new members classes, and we are delighted to uh, welcome those folks who are pictured in the little uh, insert in your bulletin, and they are here to be received as the newest members of Church of the Palms. Good-looking group. Give them a round of applause, huh? Okay, you have to turn, face me. <laughs> oh, I didn't introduce you, so turn back around again. <laughs> Bob and Judy Babiash, who are right over here, um, and uh, their other extension of their family, Courtney and Robert, are not here, but they will be here uh, next week. Linda Calvert over here, and Kevin and Michelle Stensick, and their two children are right over here. So. Say hi to them again and welcome them, doggone it. Okay, now face me. You have already answered these questions before our elders, but we are delighted to give you the opportunity again to do so and as a way uh, of reaffirming your faith and coming alongside of our mission to love God and love neighbor. So will you please respond to these questions? Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Yes. Do you trust in him? Do you intend to be his disciple and to obey his word and to show his love? Yes. And will you be a faithful member of this congregation, giving of yourself in every way, and will you seek the fellowship of the church wherever you may be? Yes. By your answering those questions, you have become already a part of this great church and this great family of God, and you join with us in our mission to love God and love neighbor. We're delighted that you are a part of our family and we look forward to the opportunities we have to serve with you shoulder to shoulder and to know that in our community together we become a light in our world and so we're glad that we can join with you in that effort. So to that end, let us pray. Thank you, O oh God, for your great love for us. And we're grateful that you, through your Holy Spirit, have bound these good people into our life together as a church. And we ask your blessing upon them. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Give them great stories to tell of how you are at work in their lives and allow them to find that particular way by which they can use their gifts to be that um, instrument of your Holy Spirit and that beacon of light for our world. For all this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Welcome. Join with me in prayer. Gracious Lord, we are here to worship you, to reorient our minds and hearts to our world, to avoid distractions, to refresh our faith, and to remember our call to be your church. We are one people and one mission in this place to serve you and to love others with all of our hearts. So we come to this place praying that you'll walk with us both in our strength and in our weakness. Open our hearts today, Lord, to feel the power of your extravagant love for us. Help us to be free of fears 
of hurts and prejudices that get in the way of seeing your love in action. And to follow your lead in the love that we extend to others whom you put in our path. Though the impacts of that love that is expressed may not be readily apparent, give us the faith to appreciate that you move in ways that we often cannot realize until much later. Open our eyes to the people that you want us to serve. Wherever we go, allow us to be your hands, your feet, your laughter, your joy in the areas and to the people in which you've called us. In these quiet minutes, we do remember the names of those who need you in our acquaintance. We voice our deepest prayer that you will meet each one by name and by need this day. We pray for your world, our nation, and your church. We pray for those places made low by disasters, political turmoil, and trauma. We pray for help in the chaos created by avarice and human choices, selfishness and injustice. Lord, we earnestly pray for renewal, peace and unity in all of these situations. Our hearts also reach out to many close to us, those facing physical, mental, and emotional challenges, those experiencing grief and losses, all of us, but especially they, need your healing touch. Gracious God, who hears all our sorrows and our supplications, show us how to be your light in others' lives. Throughout it all, we're ever grateful for the support and connection of this wonderful family of faith in the Church of the Palms. Thank you for those here whose love has planted a song in us, a melody which sings out no matter what our circumstances might be. As we together worship and follow you, Lord, move among us as we surrender our control to you. Help us to make your praise a part of our daily life as we live and love others in expectancy and in anticipation of the way you will work. And we will be careful to honor you, Lord, praying the words that your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now let's take these moments in the church to uh, generously <clears throat> offer his tithes and our offerings.
us pray. Lord, receive these gifts from your holy generosity to us. And may all of our life and everything that we do be a reflection of the praise that we feel and exhibit for you. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. You may be seated. And here comes Carol with the children. One already here. From all directions, come on back. Hey, Maddie. Thomas, come on up. Have a seat. Okay, so I have a question for you. Come on up. Have you guys ever been invited to a party? Or gotten an invitation to a special fancy dinner? Katie, you want to sit right here next to me? Right here. Right here next to Sadie and Piper. Right there. Perfect. So you might have gotten an invitation in the mail or... Um, so it's fun to be invited to a party, isn't it? So have you ever been to a party that you weren't invited to? <laughs> yeah, they call that crashing a party. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about that. There's this, uh, in the Bible story that we're talking about, that's exactly what happened. A woman came and invited to, uh, so we're going to hear about what Jesus had to say about her. So there was this guy named Simon, and he had Jesus over to his house for dinner. And um, Simon was a member of a really strict and religious group of guys called Pharisees. So he decided to invite Jesus over to his house because he had heard all the miraculous things that Jesus had done, healing people, and he thought maybe that Jesus was a prophet, which is like really connected guy to God. Can you guys imagine if you had Jesus come over to your house for dinner? You might feel pretty important, right? So no doubt, Simon might have wanted to impress his friends a little bit um, to have that important guy over to his house. So they began to eat dinner, and a woman with a really bad reputation in town showed up and came into the house uninvited. She had heard that Jesus was eating dinner there that night, and she wanted more than anything to be close to him and to see him. So she stood right behind him, and because she loved Jesus so much, she began to cry. And her tears, they fell right onto Jesus' feet. She didn't have anything to wipe Jesus' feet dry, so she, she bent down and she wiped Jesus' feet dry with her hair. Well, Simon, the guy who invited Jesus, was a little upset at this uninvited guest at his house. And he thought to himself, hmm, if this man Jesus was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman was touching him. He wouldn't want to have anything to do with her. She's a sinner. <laughs> well, Jesus knows our hearts. He knows everyone's hearts. And Jesus could tell that Simon was upset. And he said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here, he said. You didn't offer me any water to clean off the dust from my feet, but this woman cleaned my feet with her tears. He said, when I came into your house, you didn't greet me with a kiss, but this woman hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I walked in here. 
When I came to your house, you didn't anoint my head with oil, and she has been anointing me with her special perfume. He says, I tell you, this woman, look at her. Her sins, they are many. They, her sins are forgiven. He said, but a person, he said, a person who loves little or forgives little will love and show little love. So, which do we want to be like? Do we want to be like that Pharisee who thought he was too good to be around that woman that might have been a sinner? Or do we want to be like Jesus who loves everyone, no matter what they do, where they come from, and show the love that Jesus showed her? Let's pray. Dear God, help us to see that you love everyone as your child, no matter what kind of person we are. You love us all the same, no matter where we come from. And if we choose to love you, then our sins are forgiven. Amen. Come on up. I'm going upstairs. Maddie, I like your face. You want to come with me?
seated. <clears throat> One more reason to go out that door to the to the tree is to greet our new members. And so we are, hope that you'll take the chance to do that as well and welcome them into our life here at Church of the Palms. Our scripture is taken today from Luke chapter seven, beginning at the 36th verse. Hear the word of God. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. And she stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. And then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50, and when they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed me my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven, and she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we ask that you allow these words to come to point to the word just read into the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, for we pray this in his name, amen. Each of us holds in our hand a two-edged sword. Each of us holds in our hand a two-edged sword. 30 years ago, in a movie entitled The Mission, Robert De Niro plays a character named Rodrigo Mendoza, an Argentinian slave trader. His business is to descend into the Argentinian and Paraguayan jungles and round up members of native tribes and sell them to plantation owners. He is a mean and ruthless man. One particular group he is decimating is the Guarani, and it turns out that the Guarani are served by a Jesuit priest, Father Gabriel, who sets up a mission in their community to serve them. And at one point, Father Gabriel returns to the city for supplies, and he learns that Rodrigo Mendoza, the notorious slave trader who had been kidnapping the very people he was seeking to serve, is now in prison for having killed his brother in a fit of passion. 
Mendoza is overwhelmed by guilt, but the father visits him and offers absolution and invites him to now to return with him to serve the Guarani, the very people he had been kidnapping. And as a part of his penance, Rodrigo insists on binding up all, of his, all the tools of his trade, the tools of war, weapons, armor, sword, shield, etc., into a net that he would then drag behind him as they make their way to the Guarni mission. This is his, his burden of guilt. He has to drag this burden behind him on this perilous journey into and over the mountains and across the rivers to the mission. And when he finally ascends the last mountain and reaches the mission and these people for whom he had been making a living, kidnapping and selling, he collapses on the ground exhausted. He has no idea how he will be received. The Guarni see their enemy panting on the ground with a sack of penance behind him. And at that, a young Guarni comes running at him with a knife, with every intent it appears to kill him. The boy holds the knife to the slave trader's throat, and we wince with every expectation of him thrusting it in. But instead, he pulls the knife away and uses the knife to cut the cord that holds the net and pushes the net down the mountain. The slave trader is free from his past. Each of us holds in our hand a two-edged sword, one that can kill and one that can free. It seems to be very much the case in the story we read just a minute ago. Jesus is the great is the guest of a religious leader, a Pharisee. Jesus arrives and takes his place at table, supposedly for a nice evening of socializing. Later into the room, a person, a woman, enters who drags with her a very bad reputation. Her sins are public. Maybe she's a prostitute. Maybe she's an adulteress. Maybe she's a cheat. Maybe she's a gossip. Maybe she's greedy. Maybe she's a leper. Maybe she doesn't have the right social skills. Maybe she used the salad fork on the entree. God knows what she is. But she is there, and she drags into the room this net full of junk. And everybody knows her junk, and if they don't know her junk, they love guessing it. And the room begins to fill with whispers, and they whisper about this woman and her baggage. And the Pharisee, the keeper of the law, eyes a knife in the middle of the table. Now this scene is not in Luke's story, but it might as well be. He eyes this knife and reaches for it, and he walks over to the woman and holds it to her throat. The Pharisee sees her burden of guilt and shame and does the only thing he knows to do. He holds the knife to her throat and says, this is the price you have to pay for dragging that junk into this room. In another scene that is not in Luke's account, Jesus stands up and asks the Pharisee if he can see the knife. Let me be the one, he says, who uses the knife on her. And the Pharisee hands over the knife, the two-edged knife, and Jesus holds the knife up to the woman and takes the blade, not to her throat, 
but to the rope wrapped around her throat, holding all that junk, all that baggage, all that fodder for rumor, and Jesus slices the cord and says, your sins are forgiven. Each of us has hold of that sword, that knife. And I suppose it's been since the beginning of time, the Bible takes it all the way back to Cain and Abel, that human beings have this propensity to judge, to sit in the judgment seat and to observe with laser focus the shortcomings, the sins, the abnormality, the baggage, the burden of the other, and consider it our duty to take the two-edged knife and stick it in just to make sure that that person doesn't forget who they are or where they've been. Jesus talks about this over and over again in the Gospels. The woman caught in adultery and the men standing with their stones ready to stone her. The elder son ticked off that the younger prodigal son has come home to his father's embrace. The Pharisee looking askance at the tax collector. The bleeding woman rendered unclean by the law. The demoniac chained against his will. The lepers held in the ghetto of their disease. Time and time and time again, Jesus takes the knife out of somebody else's hand and uses it to cut off the baggage, the sin, the burden, the guilt, the shame. If there is any issue of morality, Jesus says, that you have to be concerned about, it is the propensity inside each of us, each of us to see the irregular in our midst and to use the knife in the wrong way. This is the indomitable force with which you and I contend to use the knife in the wrong way. So let me switch gears. A week or so ago, I was on an airplane and I looked across the aisle and I saw a guy reading an issue of Sports Illustrated. I noticed the cover of the Sports Illustrated. It's on the cover of your bulletin and it said, Miracle! And the miracle it depicted was the almost unbelievable catch by Julian Edelman in the Super Bowl. It was an amazing catch, this ball bouncing off everything from legs and arms, and Julian Edelman somehow is able to grasp it and hold on to it, and thus the headline, miracle, not to mention the 25-point comeback. And I was rooting for the Falcons. And we say it's a miracle because the chances are very nil that it's ever going to happen again. We say it's a miracle because, you know, it feels like some other force has been at work. We say it's a miracle because the odds against it are beyond comp comprehension. And so we use that word miracle very liberally. We call lots of things miracles. We see certain healings and we call them miracles. Certain happenstances or coincidences we call miracles. Certain healings we call miracles. Certain serendipitous discoveries we call miracles. And we think of these miracles as something that had been happening from beyond us. It was a miracle that this happened to me. And we become passive agents in this world of the miraculous. And the last thing we might think about is the possibility that we have that we have within ourselves the potential of the miraculous, that we have this possibility within us to be the conduit of the miraculous because the truth of the matter is the greatest miracle of all, at least the greatest miracle that Jesus talks about over and over and over again is the miracle that is going on already inside of us. And this miracle inside of us is the miracle of grace. The good news that 
that has been spoken to us, the seed of the kingdom that has already been planted into us, the blessing that has been bestowed upon us, the almost unbelievable reality that we have been forgiven. That the power that God chooses to use upon us is the power of love. That as much baggage as we have to carry, as much junk as we lug around, as much shame as we are wont to put upon ourselves, the miracle is that God still loves us. God loves us unconditionally. He forgives the sin, cuts the cord, sets us free. That is the miracle that is already at place within us. We may not even know it, we may not even believe it, but it is the truth of our relationship with God. We have been cut loose to live again. Nothing, not even our baggage will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the first half of the miracle. The second half of the miracle is that Jesus hands us this knife and says, I set you free and now you get to set someone else free. You have the power. You now have the grace. You have the freedom. And you may have every reason in your mind not to. You may have every justification in your mind not to. But there is already this miracle at work inside of you. And you have the power and the freedom and the grace to use this knife any way you choose. Paul Turnier, the Swiss doctor of a few decades ago, who insisted that ultimate healing came in both body and spirit, was asked once about a friend of his who had been found in a moral failing, a public moral failing. And when the good doctor was asked about what responsibility he had to his friend, this is what he said. He said this, I cannot approve of his action. It is a disobedience of God and I should be betraying my belief if I were to lead him to think otherwise. But I know, he writes, that this disobedience is no worse than the slander, the lie, the gesture of pride of which I am guilty every day. The circumstances of our life are different, but our hearts are the same. If I were in his place, who knows, I might do the same thing. At least, though, I know that if I did, I would need friends who would unreservedly love me just as I am with all my weakness, who would trust me without judging me, who would give me the affection I needed most of all in that moment. Each of us has a two-edged knife and the miracle comes when we choose to use it the right way. John Hurt, the British actor, died just a couple weeks ago. And when I heard the news, I thought immediately of perhaps his most famous role John Hurt played the Elephant Man. Some of you may have seen that movie or seen the play. If not, you need to. Based on the true story of Joseph Merrick, a young child in England in the 19th century who developed this 
awful condition at an early age that badly deformed him. His head swelled, his facial features almost disappeared, he looked a freak, he walked around with a burlap sack over his head. And with this condition came his being ostracized, shamed by almost everybody, no ability even to work. And finally, out of survival, he sold himself to a circus and took on the persona of the elephant man. And freak show, subject that people came in which to stick in the knife. The show came to London and a certain doctor, Frederick Trevis, came to see him. And instead of horror and instead of ridicule and instead of the stab of the knife, Dr. Trevis had compassion, compassion. And he brought the elephant man into his care and treated him at his hospital as Joseph Merrick and took care of him for the rest of his life and used his doctor's scalpel to cut the cord, to sever the shame, to release the prisoner. We have this power, Paul says. Paul says, to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. That's the miracle in us. And wouldn't it be interesting as a members of Church of the Palms if we might be turned into this miracle place? It turned out to be one of those places where we used our knives in the right way. If people came here to have the nets of burden cut from their shoulders, if people came here and found a group of people who love them just as they are, no judgment, no fear, no stabs in the back, just the most loving place in town with the miraculous power and grace at work within us, able to accomplish far more abundantly than we could ever ask or think. Next week we make our commitments for the ministry year of 2017 and I can, can I be honest with you, I think the good old world needs more miracle places. I think our divisive, angry old world needs a few miracles, good turns of the knife. And if there ever was a time to be radical about that in our giving, it's now. The world won't change if we just add a couple dollars to our pledge. It only changes through the miraculous grace and generosity of God's people. Just this week, just this week, a line of 200 veterans snaked around our parking lot to receive a bag of groceries. 100 children were tutored by our volunteers and their school subjects. 15 people were commissioned to go to Honduras. A 30,000 check was written and sent to the Presbyterian Church of Kirkuk, Iraq to help them to remain a beacon of light against the impending threat of ISIS. People like Eric and Helen Jason were visited in the hospital, and that's all miracle stuff. Just ask John Newton. Who would have believed that the hymn we are about ready to sing would be written by, of all people, a slave trader? A slave trader par excellence, self-described infidel, despicable practitioner of human trafficking, a lifetime of dragging people from their homes and selling them into human bondage. Someone, somewhere along the way took a knife to him and used it the right way. 
and a miracle occurred. The baggage released, the burden gone, and in its stead, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Such can be the miracle inside of you, and such can be the miracle from you to someone else. Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.